Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, that you make it easy for us to differentiate the darkness from the light if we'll just listen to your voice. Holy Spirit, help this messenger bring this message. Help us to be encouraged, but also, Lord, to be challenged, to be changed from the inside out. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Had I not been one who people cared enough to tell me the truth and to tell me when I made mistakes and to tell me when I was wrong, I'd still be flinging Pepsi off the back of a truck somewhere. But how many of you guys know that sometimes there's a moment, there's a season where we've got to lean in and be reminded the purity of the gospel, the clearness of scripture, it's not one to be compromised or be changed along with society. It's not one that can be morphed to what we believe because as soon as we do that, then God has become our idol. We are not to fashion what his word says according to our convictions in the moment. His word is to convict us. Darkness is still darkness even when it's not recognized as such. Today, we have a series that we're on called One Family. My assignment today in the sermon title is Family Design. For decades here in our nation, people would send their children to school. The teacher would get up there at the beginning of class and do two things. First of all, they would pray. And then they would do the Pledge of Allegiance. And many of them would read a passage of Scripture. And in 1963, something happened in our nation. Scripture was removed from the classroom. And prayer outlawed. From that moment to now, statistics show us Violence has skyrocketed. Teenage pregnancy has skyrocketed. Division and divisiveness in the home has skyrocketed. And then the other casualty of this issue that happened in 1963 is that marriage has suffered greatly. So much so, and it grieves me to say that I believe it feels to this preacher, like we've lost this battle. Typically, a marriage sermon would begin with many assumptions, knowing that everybody's on the same page. When I say marriage, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, today, even 10 years ago, you could ask anyone on the street, say, hey, what is marriage? They would give you a very clear, concise definition and almost look at you sideways because there would be no need for a definition of what is marriage. But today I stand before you, first of all, needing to address the issue of what marriage is not. 
before I can tell you what Scripture says marriage is. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I encourage you, I implore you, I invite you, follow him. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only light and the only hope for this world. But Jesus pulled no punches when he was here upon the earth. He didn't just call it as he saw it. He called it as it was. He declared truth and yet exhibited love at the same time. He declared forgiveness and yet recognized the sin of what needed to be forgiven. And so much has happened that if this is the biblical definition of marriage, we've moved away from this idea. First of all, marriage is not cohabitation. It isn't something we do for the benefit of not having to pay as many bills. It isn't a step to try out something. Maybe we'll get married can I be frank? Men have used this as a loophole today. For the woman that says, I, I, I feel like we need to move toward marriage, the man says, well, how about we move in together first? Man, shame on you. Ladies, giving all of the benefits of marriage with none of the commitment. He's fussing at me. I'm not fussing at anybody. I'm telling you what marriage is not. Marriage is not same sex. I mean, I don't know how else to say it any clearer. I believe that my Savior, there's a moment in scripture where he had this holy anger about him and a righteous anger and indignation for what was taking place in the temple. And he flipped over tables and said that this is not a house for profit, but a house for prayer. And I wonder what would happen today if he were to step into that church with stained glass hosting that same-sex ceremony. Marriage is not temporary. It is not something to be thrown away. If penguins and bald eagles can figure it out, surely we need to. God help us. Because what marriage is, is the building block of God's family design. It is God's plan, it is God's calling, it is God's purpose, it is God's design for humanity. The devil, ever since the beginning of time, and even Time as we know it and even before 
has been perverting and attacking and trying to destroy everything that God created, mandated, and set in motion. In many ways and in many minds, the enemy's campaign against marriage has been successful. It's painful to admit. Because now when you ask someone on the street, that definition is different. Like marriage has been under attack, the very image of God in mankind has been under attack. Recently, I read an article that someone had received a, a, a bone marrow transplant and after the bone marrow transplant, their DNA actually changed to the DNA of the donor. Now, why do I say that? I say that to say that was simply a medical procedure, but friends, we need to be careful about what we put on our bodies, about what we allow the enemy to take hold of in our spiritual DNA as well as in our physical bodies. At the end of the day, today, we find ourselves in a very precarious, stressful situation. I had a heaviness about me today and wondered why. Recent studies have shown that one in seven, one in seven middle and high school students identify as either transgender or gay or queer in some way, shape, or form. One in seven. Why? Because God's design has been under attack. Because in 1963, they took out the word of God and the prayer of his saints. And I've come to understand that this preacher is not done fighting. Why am I under attack? Because today, this very afternoon, right after this service, we have the official launch, luncheon for the Greater Life Academy. That's why. And the devil's a liar. And when education in my spirit was one that God called me to intervene in in this church, I'm obeying that call. And I'm ready for a fight. Before you feel like this is going to be a sermon of negativity, let me encourage you with a scripture that I read in between the services. You can feel sorry for the nine o'clock people if you want to. <laughs> Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because this will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So before you feel that this message is gonna be all about what marriage is not, that scripture tells me don't waste my time. Say what needs to be said and now talk about God's design. Amen? Have I said enough that we know what marriage is not? Good. Because it, in the midst of all of this nonsense, God is still on the throne. <laughs> Nobody knocked him off. Nobody surprised him. As a matter of fact, I read that a lightning bolt struck some pagan thing in Georgia. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Pastor's prophecy hour is coming back in August because I got a lot to talk about. God is not one to be moved or to be shifted or to be changed. Kelly noticed and mentioned to me this past week as it thunderstormed each and every night. <laughs> Notice that all the rainbows in the sky. I'm gonna tell you something that I think the Lord just showed me as I was sitting right there. We had a lot of rainbows in June all over social media. You with me? Did you know that rainbow is missing one color from God's rainbow? Did you know that? Why? Because it's a cheap imitation of what God does. You know the color that's missing? Indigo. It's a color. Look it up. And you know what the color is? It's a deep red, even purple. It's the color of the blood of Jesus. Because there's power in the blood. God is on the throne. He promised with the rainbow that he would not destroy the world with a flood. The next time God intervenes on a global scale, it will be to come for his bride. The church. And for the beginning of the end of this world to bring in the new heavens and a new earth today. We remind ourselves about God's design for marriage. God's design for marriage is the only pure picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ and us, the church. You see, that's why I get a little frustrated that the devil is trying to manipulate and change this core thing called marriage. Because every parable and picture that Jesus laid out in Scripture for the mind that does not know what God says marriage is, is already confused. The devil is a liar. The truth is still the truth. So with that being said, what is Family design according to God. What is marriage? Number one, the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage. First of all, it's procreation. 
procreation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the animals on the ground. Be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 9, 1, after the flood, God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. God's command was simple, understandable, and yet still confused. <laughs> you see, in both cases, there was a fourfold command, three that was mentioned specifically and one that it was implied. First, to be fruitful. Make babies. I can think of a God-designed marriage that makes that possible. Are you with me? Secondly, be great. <laughs> I didn't make you to sit on a log, Adam. Eve, I didn't make you to lay in a hammock. Be great. Do something with this life you have upon the earth. And guys, he's telling people that lived hundreds and hundreds of years, how much more so for you and I when our lives are just a wisp, a mist, here today, gone tomorrow. Thirdly, be ever-expanding. I, I, I love this because I feel like I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the assignment that God's given me here at Greater Life, and, and I'm thankful for what God's doing in the ministry but it certainly does feel, and, and maybe you feel this way, but I know I feel this way, that it feels like, okay, we've got this thing rolling and figured out, oh, something else we gotta do. But that's God's design, at least for me and for this church for now, is to be ever expanding because people are still going to hell. Yes. Yes. Who am I to sit still? The other one that we sometimes may even overlook is be in charge. <laughs> hey, Adam, Eve, look at all this stuff. Now take care of it all. Be in charge. You know, it wasn't that long. Well, it was, you know, when you count the years that between Adam and Noah, that mankind had really messed things up that they had got to the point that everything they thought and everything they did was evil before the Lord, that only Noah was righteous in God's eyes. And so I've often wondered, and I begin to think, you know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah where, where there's this back and forth with uh, righteous, how many righteous would you spare the city for? And there's this back and forth that happens between God and Abraham. And, and you see this interaction, and I often wonder that, that the earth is still here. Can I tell you the reason that God is holding back his wrath is two things. Number one, he's merciful and he's patient and he wants everyone to be saved. Number two, look around. It's because there's righteous still in the world. Amen? Which is one of the strongest arguments for the rapture. We gotta 
and then God's judgment. You see, the thing that they messed up is they only, they only um, obeyed God's call in this purpose of marriage, in this procreation assignment. They only obeyed God's call in part. In both cases, we find a resistance to fill the earth, spread out, which led to rebellion and pride. Mankind looked around and said, let's get together and stay close and, and be great in our own eyes. You see, God did call them to be great, but not to be great for them. There are so many times in Scripture that we find God saying, I'm going to use that one just so there is no doubt that I did it. And when I consider my own life, I think of that a lot. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there's something so wonderful, so freeing about any burden that I may carry when I know that this is God's church and he's building it. And I just get to be a part of it. Amen? It is he who is great. We know that in both cases, marriage brought children it brought greatness, and as the population grew, it brought dominion as they ruled over the earth. They stewarded the resources of the earth, yet they stayed together. The same thing happened in Acts, where the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Jesus said, listen, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Go and tell everyone. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And the apostles like, yes, we received the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to Jerusalem. Stop. You see, something happened, I believe in Acts chapter 8, that persecution was allowed to happen to the church. That a man named Stephen became the first martyr of the church. And it was that that moved them to Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. There is no obeying God halfway. It, it, it doesn't happen. Why are you saying all this? What does this have to do with marriage? I'll tell you. Because for marriage to work, catch it. For marriage to work, we need to be intentional about leaving and cleaving to our spouse. My daughter's good at finding weird shows, Abigail. And she found one that the other day that was, um, I love a mama's boy is what it's called. <laughs> no lie. I might have watched a couple episodes last night. You know, it's... So there's these marriages. There's this one in particular marriage that's being just sabotaged because the mama's boy has this attachment, has not ever left. Sit down. <laughs> Welcome back from Locust, Donovan. My buddy, he's been in Locust for a while. There's this attachment. He has not left and embraced his spouse. Kelly and I had that moment early in our marriage. We moved away to Springfield, Missouri. We went out there. We couldn't go to mom and dad's house anymore. We couldn't go raid their cupboard. We couldn't uh, go lean on them. We couldn't go drop grace off. We, we had to figure it out on our own. Amen. And it helped us establish our family unit. Can I tell you, I, 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 maybe I'm stretching, maybe I'm not, but God told them, fill the earth, spread out, go and do great things. And if you don't, you're not doing what I've called you to do. 
And our marriage counselors can tell you that one of the most important parts of being married and joining in a relationship and becoming a partner in life with a husband and wife is, is saying that now this is my priority as a family. I still am connected to everybody, but this is now my priority as a family. Where do we go for Christmas? Well, this is my priority as a family. Some of the mothers and fathers-in-law in the room are really upset at me right now. How dare he? <laughs> oh, gosh. Partnership. Procreation, first of all, purpose of marriage. Secondly, partnership. Partnership. This idea of a suitable helper that was brought to Adam with the story of the creation of Eve. Listen, everything I'm telling you today, I'm saying without apology, and I'm bringing it straight from the Word of God. So you want to be mad at me? There's a bigger one than me you need to be mad at. You with me? You want to know what God's design is? Here it is. Nothing else in creation was suitable or effective enough for what God was calling man to do. The Holy Spirit is our helper today as believers, but God designed marriage to be that one man and that one woman together in partnership for life. And many times we find ourselves that when we get into this text in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to find it initially, eventually. It's one of them teeny tiny books. 1 Peter chapter 3, here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, let me read the whole thing. In the same way you wives accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Let me just interject right here. This is talking about marriage. Ain't a boyfriend, ain't a fiance. This is marriage. You with me? When a man says God tells you you're supposed to submit to me and you ain't married, no, he does not. God bless you. They will be won, by, won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty, listen wives, of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Is this saying be ugly? I hope not. Here's what it is saying. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. 
Remember in the Garden of Eden when Eve ate of the fruit and Adam was standing nearby and then she gave it to Adam and he ate it and then they went and hid from God and then God came down to walk with them in the garden and what did God do? God didn't say, Eve, why did you eat that fruit and give it to Adam? God skipped over Eve because it was Adam's responsibility to lead and God said, Adam, what did you do? And for so many men today, Adam had the response that many men have today. It was the woman that you gave me. It's her fault. I can't be responsible. God help us, men. We gave away t-shirts on Father's Day that says, take courage and be a man. Can we just stand up and take courage and be a man? Verse 6, for instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Husbands, listen before you think, yeah. Verse seven, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. You want her to respect you? You want her to follow your lead? Give her honor. Love her like you mean it. Amen? Y'all, wives, y'all should be excited about this part. The men are all sitting there quiet during the first part thinking, I better not say nothing. You heard what pastor said, right? <laughs> I had a bad habit of quoting this scripture when we was early married. Listen, you're supposed to submit. I didn't do that. I, oh, gosh. Stop it. She knows the scripture, too. She said, you're supposed to die for me. Go ahead. Amen. <laughs> you got me there. Here you go, husbands. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Men, you want to have a blockage between you and what God's calling you to do? Treat your wife with disrespect. Have stuff in your marriage that you shouldn't have. And there is going to be a blockage between you and what God's calling you to do. Can I tell you one of the greatest ways for you to hear God's voice is to have a peace and a harmony within your marriage. There's nothing like it. Before you get so caught up about the weaker vessel, at the end of the day, it's biology and physiology. God designed us differently because we're supposed to be different. Amen? I remember in the Marines, I had to do 20 pull-ups to pass the physical test. Ladies just had to hang there. Right, because we're different. But how many of you guys know that God's design is a beautiful design because when two become one, they accomplish it all together? Come on. So men take courage and be a man. 
protect, provide, love like Christ loved the church, who he covered her, you and I as a church. Ladies, love them. I could tell you in the words of Miles Monroe, who's gone on to be with Jesus, a great teacher on marriage. He says, and I quote, most of the time men don't need to feel loved, they need to feel respected. Amen? Nothing devastates a man more than being talked down to like they don't belong and they're not a leader. You want them to lead? Begin to treat them like a leader. Anybody here today? Men, men, are you here today? Y'all ain't gonna be in trouble. Well, you might, but this is scripture. My heart is that we have marriages that are in line with God's plan. And yet we look around and they're broken and they're busted and they're fighting. But that's not God's design. Secondly, let's talk about the word suitable. It wasn't until after parading the entire animal kingdom in front of Adam that it was abundantly clear that there was nothing like him. Why? Why was Eve different? Why did God create Eve? Because Eve had eternity in her heart like Adam did. She was created in the image of God like Adam was, equal, as the scriptures just told us, in God's plan. Come on. Don't tell me, don't get caught up in the lie and arguing with people about how the Bible says women are less than men. No, it doesn't. It says treat them as a weaker vessel. Treat them with that honor and that respect because they are your equal in what God is calling you to. Only marriage brings us an understanding of the importance of choosing a lifelong mate, not only to make babies and to make money, but to make an impact for the kingdom of God. The healthy marriage is the greatest partnership ever established in sickness and in health, in richer and poorer until, say it, yes sir. Pastor, I'm sitting here, I'm on my second go round, third go round, fourth or whatever. Then make this one stick, amen? Follow God's plan for it. Follow the scriptures. Begin to walk in a way that is pure and holy before God. Man, stop looking at stuff you're not supposed to be looking at when your wife ain't looking. Walk in purity. Let it mean something to you. Hmm. Anthony's laughing at me. But I know why he's laughing, because you feel it. Preparation. What is the purpose of marriage? Preparation. Hear me. Judges chapter 2. I think that, do I have this one up there? Scripture? Yep. Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Check this out. This is one of the scariest, scariest verses in Scripture after we learn what it says. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember 
the mighty things he had done for Israel. We've heard all the time that society is one generation away, right? This is it. At some point, the parents decided to stop talking to their kids about the great things that God had done. To stop sharing them about the laws and the statutes and the teaching of the Lord that came through the scriptures that they had. At some point, they decided that they can choose their own path. If I've seen it one time, I've seen it a hundred times on sitcoms. We don't, we, we, don't, we don't put religion on our kid. We let them choose their own path. Well, that's a good way to send them to hell. And then to act shocked when they choose the wrong path. The Bible says that wide is the path that leads to destruction. Amen. You want to be purposeful about cursing your kids? Don't teach them the narrow path. Preparation. We find marriages, parenting, not preparing the next generation of the Lord faithfully. I'm gonna shift gears here. Purpose of marriage. Secondly, the picture of marriage. The part that is so disheartening or so frustrating is, is the picture of marriage. Certainly, it's God's gift to us. It's God's design for us. And that way we walk in that relationship with our spouse for a lifetime. And we find ourselves where we can Fulfill all that God's called us to do. And before you feel like, man, I'm single, I can't do all that. The scripture also says, and Paul, the apostle, declares, he stayed single because God called him to be single and still did great things for God. But today it's about marriage. And I want to encourage you that this picture of marriage, the end game is that so we could understand Jesus' relationship with us, the church. The picture of marriage. Without marriage, we miss so many powerful illustrations, parables, and pictures of the gospel with the relationship we have with God and even with one another. Picture of marriage. First, the bridegroom. Christ is the bridegroom throughout Scripture. We read it in some of the parables as Jesus is teaching and painting this picture. We read it in some of the letters to the churches, but it's most prominent in the book of Revelation. That talks about the end, Revelation chapter 19, chapter 18, chapter 21, chapter 22. The entire painting of the picture of the, how awesome it's gonna be in glory is connected to Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, the groom. He leads, protects, provides. He is devoted and ready. I'll tell you what he's not. He's not desperate. He, he's not that nervous groom standing at the altar wondering if the runaway bride will show up. With me? So, so before we get into a place where we begin to feel a sense of pride and say that, that I have the opportunity, Jesus wants me, He's, he died for me, he wants me so bad, and if I don't choose to follow him, it's gonna break his heart. Certainly, he loves you, he wants you to be saved. But can I tell you that the choice is yours. There's gonna be a celebration in heaven whether you choose him or not. That might be a hard truth. 
You won't be celebrating if you don't choose them. But the saints that have will be. You know, because the Bible tells us that there is no weeping in heaven. Why? Because the old has gone and the new has come. I say that to just encourage you with this one exhortation. Please choose him. Please. Secondly, the picture of marriage is the bride, which is the church, pure and adorned and expectant. The scriptures lay out how the bride gets new clothes, clean and white before the Lord because of the salvation and the forgiveness that flows from the cross. In Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13, we see a parable a parable of the ten virgins who are awaiting the call of the bridegroom. In those days, an oil lamp, as they were describing, was a single lamp. It was yours and yours alone. You could only have it for you, and it lasted about an hour. You could hold it in the palm of your hand. And the language of this scripture is describing that type of lamp. We read in this passage, Matthew chapter 25, I believe, I want to draw your attention to one scripture. Matthew chapter 25, verse 4. Verse 5. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps, and the five foolish ones asked the others, please give me some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went with him. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch. The oil represents the spirit. It is the seal of ownership upon your heart and mind that we believe on Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And you cannot share that with someone else. You cannot share that with someone else in a sense of because I'm saved, they are too. I, I have met many people along the years in ministry was so my grandma was a member of this church therefore that doesn't work salvation is not transferable from the mother and the father to the child it is a personal decision that you and I have to make to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord King and Savior and so many times we get caught up wanting him to save us from our sin but we don't want to follow his instruction as our King it goes together amen and so we find these five virgins that miss out and these five that find themselves with the bridegroom, they're saved, they're, they're, they're with, the, they were ready, they were prepared. And these ones that weren't prepared, both of them fell asleep. And how many of you guys have heard the church referred to as a sleeping giant? 
And if you've been in any prophecy teaching here at Greater Life Church lately, you know that there's going to be a thing right before the return of Christ. And before you think it's a revival, it is not. It is a great falling away. And there are so many, and we see it, we see it every single day. And now it's denominations at a time are walking away from the purity and the clarity of Scripture and saying, that's your truth, whatever you believe is okay. The great sleeping giant is going to be roused at the return of the king, and half of them may miss out. I, for one, am going to endure to the end. You see why marriage is so important? Because it paints this picture of the end. It, it has this idea that the best picture that God could think of when he talked about the celebration in heaven was the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the party at the wedding was the best picture that God could think of when he describes what would happen in the end. We gotta capture that. And it brings us to a place that we've got to know that the family design is God's design, the marriage is God's design and God's idea. And when we wander away from it, we've got to recognize it. We've got to speak the truth in love. And we also have to recognize, as I read in Ephesians chapter 5, don't waste your time with foolishness. Hear me? Don't waste your time with foolishness. There are people that are leaning in that are already ready to give their hearts to Christ. And then there are people that have hard hearts that do not want to give up their sin. It's your opportunity to discern that in the spirit. Jesus talks about it as throwing pearls to swine. What does that mean? That means when you waste your time preaching the gospel to someone that is never gonna receive it, you need to move on. When we find this picture of marriage as something that Jesus gives us to paint, a, to paint this beautiful end times thing, we're all going to be a part of. I'm drawn to John chapter 2 in the wedding of Cana. As Jesus is there and it's his first miracle as he turns the water into wine. But something jumped out at me as I was reading it again. <laughs> They're having the party. They're enjoying themselves. They're having a great celebration. And then they run out of wine. Jesus turns the water into wine. Party started back up. The master of the ceremonies, I guess the wedding planner, for all intents and purposes, said, hey man, this is, this is wonderful stuff. And has a conversation with the bridegroom. Not knowing where the new wine came from, says to the bridegroom, this is awesome. You brought the best stuff out at the end. That's my translation. And then it says this. 
as he's talking to the bridegroom, you have saved the best until right now. (laughs) What does that say to me? Well, the best is yet to come. That we honor God with marriage, with the picture of marriage. We stay pure before him and what we teach and what we are convicted of and, and how we operate as a church and a ministry and understand that the best is yet to come. Amen. This world, as Paul says, is just a dim reflection of what it's going to be like in glory. Can I tell you? Jesus is coming soon. And his bride is going to be ready. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us as a nation and as a world. Help us to be a light that shines even brighter today. Help us, Lord, in our individual conversations with people. Give us the words to say, the anointing to say it. God, I do believe that before you return, Lord Jesus, there's going to be a falling away. And so I'm praying right now and asking you that while we have this time, this window, may you bring revival in this land and to this church and to anything that we're connected with. Lord Jesus, bring an anointing for now. as we, f- we refuse to compromise the truth. And Lord, have your way. Help us to follow your lead. So the precious people of this world that you died for, so many that have not received your salvation, So, Lord, that somehow, some way, greater life and the people in this room today, we could be used to reach the lost. Help us to be motivated to fight this spiritual battle, to see victory upon victory, (laughs) because, God, you're in control and you don't lose. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.